Fed can just print more money out of thin air, but the government's always going to be in debt to the Fed. Always. and gentlemen welcome back to another episode of dangerous world podcast the monday edition is a little different this week okay last week i failed to do a full uh full length episode i'd like to do those at the end of the week just to have some cool listening heading into the weekend for you if you so choose um got a little behind and so you're gonna get two this week you're gonna get two deep dives into two separate but kind of related topics today talking about um, the CIA infiltration of media, I've touched on it before. I want to go a little deeper into it today. CIA infiltration, high level secret society infiltration, talking pilgrims, masons, all this kind of stuff, the hidden hand behind all the influence out there. I want to talk about that in depth. And then this Friday, I'm going to touch on something that is more internet focused which I think is incredibly interesting, something that I uh, I don't want to give away up here uh, you know, at the beginning of the episode, but I will be talking about it briefly towards the end here. Um, so a little teaser for you. But since it is Monday, you guys know that the Monday Night Master Debater show that The Great Deception Runs is about to drop, and I will be releasing that next week and just getting back into the normal flow of things. Just got a little busy this week and wanted to... Make it right this week. So, or yeah, last week I was busy. Want to make it right this week, but um, this should be a fun one. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of touch up front with mainstream stuff. Um, you know, Disney, National Amusement, which is now uh, Paramount, and then uh, you know Time Warner, which is now AT and T, Comcast, News Corp, which is Fox now, and Sony. Things like that. These big big companies that you've heard of and you know their brands. And it's interesting how they kind of have this spider web of these six conglomerates just owning everything from like BET to, you know, Vice to all these different what you would think are kind of like smaller organizations. They all report to six different people, it seems. Um, So it's just mind blowing when you see that. And I know that it's something where it's like, you know, kind of a no shit sort of thing, but I'm also going to, towards the end of the episode, touch on, and I shouldn't say touch on, it's actually the majority of the episode, going to talk about Coast to Coast AM and the shady kind of uh, ties that they have, and then we'll wrap up with InfoWars and Alex Jones a little bit. I actually like uh, Alex Jones and InfoWars. It's very entertaining. I don't think that just because I'm saying any of this stuff doesn't mean that you shouldn't listen to it. But I do think it's interesting that people like Art Bell, George Norrie, Alex Jones, they get a lot of us into conspiracies and sort of this alternative way of thinking. And it sure seems to be something that the elites, the Rockefeller Foundation, all these people, uh, Ford, the Ford Endowment, all these things like that, they seem to be very comfortable with people like us doing this. We're not really necessarily exposing anything here. Um 
and and again, not to tease too much what the next uh, you know topic deep dive is going to be. We're, there's there's one entity that controls what goes online and what's allowed to be seen by all of us. And it's allowing all this stuff. It allows child porn up there, obviously. I mean, they're kind of fans of that, right? It allows conspiracies. It allows places like InfoWars to exist. Um, that and Coast to Coast as well. So, again, majority going to be on Coast to Coast. And then we're going to have some very interesting things with InfoWars. Again, I enjoy both those platforms. Uh, more so InfoWars, but... Doesn't mean that you shouldn't be aware what's going on. You should be aware of like what I'm pushing, right? You should always be aware of these things. I don't exclude myself. I'm not sitting here pointing the fingers at these bigger guys just to say, hey, come watch me. You should obviously question what I'm what my motives are. Um, I think it's healthy. It's it's I don't take offense to it either. I'm actually flattered when people are are sketched out about what I'm pushing and what I'm doing because I think that it's healthy. I think that it means that you're doing something effectively. So when people freak out about, you know, questions being asked about their integrity, that's when you have to be very suspicious. And, um, you know, I won't go down that rabbit hole at all. But it's 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 a wild time that we live in here. We're on the Monday, uh, March 13th here. And is the economy just going to completely fail because the Silicon Valley Bank, are other banks going to fail? When Joe Biden was asked about this, he just turned around and walked out. I don't know if that means he didn't have an answer that was Obama approved or if he doesn't know what a bank is anymore. I mean, it's kind of tough to know with him when he's wearing his pants backwards and whatnot, but wild, wild times that we're in. And it seems that even when you're trying to go and find accurate information there's a lot of homework that needs to be done on everybody's part. It's a it's a big responsibility to be informed. If you choose to not be informed, you choose to just kind of like go through life just enjoying it. I don't I don't hate that at all. I think that's fine, but I'm uh trying to do my little part here with uh with all you great people that listen to share what I have found. And again, take it with a grain of salt as you should all information. But I like starting these Monday episodes off even though this isn't a typical intro to a debaters I like starting it off thanking all the people that support the show the most. Uh, if you if you choose to do that, just go to patreon.com slash dangerous world podcast. It's three dollars to get on the minimum level of support. And it really makes a huge difference uh, for my little show. And it helps me to just get a little closer to be able to, to take this even more seriously. I take it very serious now, but uh, you guys are awesome. So the, in, within the last 30 days, Jed, thank you very much for signing up, dude. Russell, Chad. Big thanks to Eric, $10 supporter there. John, upgrading his membership. Uh, thank you so much, John. And I actually got to meet John in our uh, you know monthly chats, which I'm trying to move to two weeks. My weeks are tight, but I'd like to do this because it was really cool meeting John. It was cool meeting Diane, who was in the next $10 supporter here. It was it, It's really cool. I'm hoping, actually, Diane, if you're listening, I messaged you because I want to talk about this Adderall stuff that you uh, had mentioned and possibly in the news show, which we're recording tonight. So if you hear this, you happen to hear it, please get to your Patreon DMs because I hit you up there. Um, So thank you to Diane, obviously, Mexican Polo, and David, almost said your last name. I'm glad that I caught myself there. But yes, David, thank you as well, man. You guys are fucking awesome. And, um, you know, growing, the, the Patreon had its best month last month since I started the show three years ago. And just, it makes all the difference in the world. Also, another new perk of that $10 tier, exclusive to the $10 tier, is every month I'm going to send a promo code that gets you 20% off of the store, dangerousworldpodcast.com. You get 20% off all your order. doesn't matter if you order one thing 
or a hundred things. There's not even really a hundred things that you would order on that site, but you get my point. You will get a 20% discount. Um, some months I might make it more. It's never going to be less than 20%. Sometimes I might make it more. Sometimes, you know, we'll keep it right at 20%, but I'm changing that promo code every month just to prevent people that sign up for one month from getting it for the rest of their lives or whatever. Uh, trying to, um, you know, run that efficiently over there. And, um, yeah, you, I, I just can't thank people enough for doing that. The merch is awesome too. I got to say thanks to fourth wall and the new garbage pale kid shirt. I ordered a sample of it should be coming in here any, any minute. And I'm stoked for that. So trying to come up with at least a shirt a month. So it will be worth the support over there if you like the content, right? But I always just encourage people to to support that $3 tier. So thank you. Enough of the business. Enough of the business. Who cares about that shit other than myself? Again, starting with basic stuff here. Starting with your big, you know, well-known news conglomerates and things like that. You have companies like the New York Times being owned by elite families, the Oaks Schulsberger family, and I'm probably butchering that name. If you want any spelling to any of these things, just hit me up. I'm going to be going through a lot of people here. Um, but this Oaks Schulsberger family, since the 1900s, ran the New York Times. It was founded by some other individuals, but I mentioned that that Oaks Schulsberger family because they are part of that Pilgrim Society that I did a two-part episode uh, one part of that was with my fellow trusty sidekick, Ghost, from My Third Eye. We talked about just the the intricate ways that they're in universities, they're in... I mean, this is, in my opinion, it's who the Freemasons want to be when they grow up. I mean, these people are incredibly, incredibly powerful. Um, the guy that, that was a part of the, the New York Times since the 1900s was this Orville E. Dreyfus, and he's part of this mega powerful pilgrim family. And it seems to have been founded, like I said, by some people that um, for some reason, they weren't really part of the clique. They weren't really allowed to get in back in the 1800s. Henry Jarvis Raymond and George Jones. These two seem to be somewhat, and I don't know if this is 100% true or if it's just optics, these two didn't seem to be allowed in the elite. Um, They didn't get any kind of help or support during the Civil War. Actually, Raymond had to defend the building with like Gatlin guns outside. Um, and then, you know, he ends up passing away. Jones takes executive control of the company and boss Tweed, right? That corrupt son of a bitch tries to bribe, uh, Jones out of doing like a hit piece on him an expose, if you will, tries to give him $5 million. Jones actually turns that down. That seems incredibly relevant. And it seems like he's like an, they started this off as a true, uh, you know, they, they had integrity when they started this, it seems. That's gone by the wayside, obviously, now. But Jones seemed to have been kind of on the up and up. Turning down a $5 million bribe in the 1800s is massive. I mean, that seems like billions of dollars today with inflation and all this shit, right? Um, Boss Tweed ends up buying the newspaper, and it seems like that's when it all goes to shit for them, okay? I don't want to spend too much time on things like the New York Times and the next one here, uh, Time Magazine, and Reader's Digest and all these other things, because you're familiar with these. You know that these are are shady, but I just kind of want to paint the picture briefly here. Um, next one I was going to mention, Time, was founded in 1923 by Henry Luce. And, uh, you know, the co-founders and the financiers of the magazine were elites like J.P. Morgan, uh, some of the partners there, Thomas W. Lamont, Dwight Morrow, as well as the Harriman from the Brown Brothers Harriman uh, Bank, right? Uh, Nazi ties and whatnot. 
the Harriman family and the Harkness families, some elite, elite families. You have CIA, OSS assets like Paul Gray Hoffman holding senior positions in the magazine. And then a lot of these individuals belonging to the Pilgrim Society as well. If you don't know about the Pilgrim Society, in the show notes, if I can remember, I will post my Pilgrim Society episodes because they are wild. Uh, the biggest secret society that you haven't heard of. I believe they started it in in the United States here in either 1912 or 1913 and a year before over in uh, London. And the goal of the Pilgrim Society was to kind of keep the United States anchored to the crown, right? And they do this very well. They're very, very efficient with this. I mentioned Luce being the founder in 1923 of Time Magazine. With this elite society of the Pilgrims, Henry Luce III obviously the grandson of Henry Luce, the founder of Time, becomes the president of the Pilgrim Society in 1997. So these dudes are, are, are connected in the highest ways. I believe that the Pilgrim Society cannot be understated when it comes to their power. We're talking Yale, Harvard. I mean, you name a big company, the Pilgrims have their fingers in it, more so than the Masons. It's one of these things where I talk about it a lot, and so do a lot of other great podcasters. They talk about how the Freemasons, as bad as they are, they get all the fingers pointed at them. This guy's a Mason. This guy's a Mason. You know, this lady's a Eastern Star, which is the the uh, co-ed, if you will, of the Masons. It, it's almost hack, but at the same time, it makes sense. It makes sense that that all these people are connected to this this very high level secret society. But again, dude, they want to be the Pilgrims when they grow up. The Pilgrim Society is massive. Look into them. Listen to my episodes on them. Incredible stuff there. Um, next quick one here, I'm going to do Reader's Digest. Um, just another big one, a lot, you know, not extremely prominent within the Pilgrim Society, but uh, a lot of the Reader's Digest most senior members and long-term managers have been Pilgrims, um, going back to the 1940s, really, and then way up into the early 2000s. I don't know how influential the Reader's Digest is anymore. I actually should have probably looked into, see if they had merged with anything or kind of changed up their branding, but... Everyone's heard of Reader's Digest. They were very influential throughout, again, the 40s up to the 2000s. I haven't even seen one in quite a, quite some time here. Um, last real one here, and then I'm going to do a little bit of reading. You have Radio Corporation of America, RCA. These guys are located in Rockefeller Center, and they've been one of the most dominant broadcasting companies since the 30s, really, um, all the way up to the 70s. I mean, radio's kind of fallen off in a big way. It's podcasting now, it seems. So look for some, you know, new information to come out about podcasting. And, and like I said, we'll get into this uh, towards the end. These guys seem to have kind of merged into NBC, National Broadcasting Company. Uh, you got NBC, and then I'll talk about how they split up, because by the late 30s, NBC had become so dominant on the airwaves that the FCC actually forced it to split into two companies, one becoming significantly less influential. They had ABC and then, of course, NBC, American Broadcasting Company and National Broadcasting Company. It's like uh, the football league, right? NFL, you got the NFC, the AFC, uh, same shit, same, same basic idea. Then uh, Capital Cities bought ABC in 1985. These are all tied together. They're all, even though they're splitting up, they're still part of the same organizations. It's like you're selling it to a buddy. Uh, just think about the 2000 presidential election with our buddy George Bush and then our even bigger buddy, John Kerry, 
being total friends. And then, you know, it's like, okay, you know, whoever wins this at the end of the day, same thing's going to happen. Same agenda is going to be pushed. We're a step closer to what our ultimate goal is, which we're not 100% sure what that is. I lean towards one world society, but hey, you can debate me on that if you'd like. Now, I'm going to bring somebody up here, this William S. Paley, and he found, uh, founded and ran CBS until he died in 1990. Now, there's this, uh, you know, Henry Kissinger is obviously part of CBS, um, Marietta Peabody Tree, another kind of high-level scumbag. These people are involved in CBS. Kissinger couldn't be more deep state, right? He's affiliated with CBS. Now, you have in the 1970s, okay, so we're jumping from the 30s to the 70s when RCA is, is kind of losing its power. Um, NBC and ABC are kind of doing their thing. Um, in the 70s, we had this fake government concern over the CIA deep state control of media. It was totally just like something that they had a few chaos agents go in there, maybe some unknowing assets to the big plan. Because I do believe that some people get in government trying to do the right thing. Uh, I don't know how often that happens anymore, but I, I think it happened more so back in the day here when people could kind of like strike gold, so to speak, and become wealthy, and then they want to as a normal person, uh, try to influence some positive change. I don't really think that happens anymore. Most of your rich people out there are connected in some way or they come from legacy money. So it's tough. Um, again, I, I feel like I've been sounding really cynical lately, but at the same time, I'm trying to be realistic about it. We still have fun, obviously, over here, but just uh, it, it's very obvious to see. You have this fake outrage by the government over this media control. They obviously didn't really want to break any of these conglomerates up in a meaningful way. The same way, I was just kind of alluding to this, the same way that Standard Oil was broken up because of this monopoly that they had on the price, they still have that same monopoly. All the gas companies that you know today, basically, uh, Exxon, uh, you know, Shell, all these different ones, they we're, these are the, the new companies that are just standard oil broken up into a, you know several different pieces. I'm sure a lot of you know that, but they all agree within usually a few cents of each other what they're going to set these prices at. Obviously, it's dictated a little bit by the market, but these people can can really dictate what goes on. If they wanted, if one of them wanted to come in and just kill the competition, they could beat their their uh, peers, if you will, by a couple bucks and still profit realistically. And that would just shut out the competition, but they don't want that. They want this competition so they can keep the illusion of freedom going, the illusion of choice. Um, you know, it, it's very well done, honestly, but the same way that that standard oil was broken up falsely, the mockingbird media has, has been treated the very similar, a very similar way. And um, I don't know. It's just, it's just meant to look, like I said, like we have some kind of choice, they want the media to all give the same message, very similar messages. And if it's a dissenting message, it's dissenting in a controlled way. It's not It's not really harmful information that they're putting out there. Some of the most harmful information that they could have put out faster would have been these Epstein documents. Everyone was in on that, so they didn't wanna they didn't really want to do any meaningful exposing of anybody because then the whole system breaks. Right? They have this really well-constructed pyramid. A lot of people say, let's flip that thing upside down. Have you ever seen a pyramid stand upside down? It just turns into a bunch of fucking bricks, right? Their system will not work if they were to actually break this up. It's all an illusion. 
They want to put out information through these news channels and through these media outlets to make sure that the slaves are educated enough to where they feel like they are important. We don't mean a damn thing to these people. We never have and we never will. Uh, but they want to keep us just happy enough with the bread and circuses, uh, you know, metaphor there. They want to keep us just happy enough to not, uh, you know, do anything meaningful and fuck up their system until they're ready to fuck up their system. They don't want us doing anything about it. So it is interesting out of all this, uh, out of all the ways that the CIA can, can kind of narrate or, you know, dictate the narrative, uh, shift consciousness in, in certain ways, if you will. The CIA actually rates reporters and, and have since its inception, they rate reporters among its best spies, um, some of their best assets, really, because they can go almost anywhere on the fucking globe or plane and um, they can just ask questions without raising any kind of suspicions, right? If you have a reporter going in and saying, what's going on here? What's going on there? Maybe they get the answer, maybe they don't, and then they go back and report it right to the CIA without raising any suspicion whatsoever. And people are catching on to this more and more. So there's new methods of doing it. Whatever is the most popular form of entertainment is always going to have some CIA infiltration in it. They're very good at this. They built a name off of infiltrating organizations. This is that shadow government that we've heard about so much. The CIA is the deep state. Now, with me mentioning Paley... Uh, William S. Paley there, the founder of CBS, uh, affiliated again with Henry Kissinger and Peabody and all these, Peabody Tree rather. There is a book written by Deborah Davis, Catherine the Great. And this website that, you know, I, I've cited the website several times, and this is where I'm going to be doing a majority of my reading. This ISGP-studies, I'll provide a link for it. I've done it in many episodes because it's such a great source. <laughs> to be honest, I think it's CIA infiltrated itself. I think it is a brainchild, if you will, uh, of the CIA because of the amount of information there. Doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like it couldn't be kind of infiltrated in some way, you know. And again, it's allowed to stay up. So even though it's incredible information, I think it's very valuable stuff. It does not mean that I'm just buying a hook, line, and sinker here. You you never can do that. Um, and you're probably like wanting to know really bad too what the, why I'm I'm going on about the internet, but you'll see here shortly. It, it just uh, you know I got a flow to this thing, but this Catherine the Great book, um, there was a passage put on this or a, you know a section maybe put on the ISGP dash studies that I think it really kind of sums up the CIA uh, media relationship very, very well. And just, you know, a couple sentences here. So again, Deborah Davis, Deborah Davis, uh, Catherine, the great says Paley's own friendship with Alan Dulles, the original head of the CIA, right? Paley's own friendship with Alan Dulles is now known to have been one of the most influential and significant in the communications industry. He provided cover for CIA agents. So he let CIA agents work at CBS, like Kissinger probably. Um, he provided cover for CIA agents, supplied outtakes of news film, permitted the debriefing of reporters, and in many ways set the standard for cooperation between the CIA and the major broadcast companies, which lasted until the mid-70s. That's hilarious that they're saying that this is not a thing anymore, right? Again, Deborah Davis is allowed to put this out because she says, hey, yeah, the government used to be shady, but they stopped this in the 70s when the government was pretending they were upset about this stuff. Continuing here, the Post, the Washington Post, 
men continued to see Paley and Cronkite every Christmas at a dinner given by Alan Dulles at a private club called the Alibi. What a great name for a CIA club. Membership is limited to men in or close to intelligence and is by invitation only. Incredible stuff there. I mean, that is, even though it's allowed to be out there, that is wild. That is wild. Again, Catherine the Great, I've never read the book, full transparency, but that little section from it is incredible. It's it's very, very damning. And I, I believe every single bit of that other than it lasted until the mid-1970s. That's bullshit. They're clearly doing it. I mean, recently you saw Sean Hannity with a CIA pin in his lapel. And they do this constantly. Uh, who's the other guy, the, the twink-looking dude? Uh, Cooper, Anderson Cooper. I mean, his family couldn't be more. He's a Vanderbilt, right? So these people are very good at doing this. And when we find out what do we do? We bitch about it and then we move on. Uh, 24-hour news cycle is really good at, at making us do that. Now, like I said, I'm going to read directly from this site here a little bit. Not for too long. I got uh, quite a bit after this. It should maybe take, I don't know, depending on how much I stop, this could take 10 minutes. But it's it's interesting stuff. It's kind of rattling off the different connections between different organizations and intelligence and, and deep state government and stuff. Incredible stuff here. Um, so even though I'm reading, I will make sure that this is not boring stuff. It says, among the executives who lent their cooperation to the agency were William Paley of Columbia Broadcasting System, CBS, Henry Luce of Time, um, Henry Luce of Time, Arthur Hayes, Schulzberger of the New York Times, Barry Bingham Sr. of the Louisville Courier Journal, and James Copley of the Copley News Service. Those are all connected to the CIA, according to the site. Other organizations which cooperated with the CIA include the American Broadcasting Company, ABC, the National Broadcasting Company, NBC. Again, the same thing, right? The Associated Press, of course, right? These guys are all agreeing, and then they're kind of putting out the same narratives. United Press International, Reuters, Hearst Newspapers, Scripps Howard, Newsweek Magazine, the Mutual Broadcasting System, the Miami Herald, and the Old Saturday Evening Post and New York Herald Tribune. By far the most valuable of these associations, according to the uh, CIA officials, have been the New York Times, CBS, and Time, Inc. Okay, Again, all having ties to the Pilgrim Society and to the CIA directly through Alan Dulles. Friendships and relationships built over years and generations have really kind of solidified this relationship between big media and the CIA. It's hard to tell exactly where the line stops. They are a mouthpiece for the government. This is criminal. This is very, very bad. This is this is like when we see countries doing this outside of the United States, we look at them as a joke. Why are we the exception here? It's very strange. Now, continuing here, a few executives, Arthur Hayes Schulzberger of the New York Times, among them, signed secrecy agreements, like NDAs basically, but such formal understandings were rare. Relationships between agency officials and media executives were usually social. Quote, the P and Q Street axis in Georgetown, said one source. Now, uh, this is referring to uh, Sulzberger here. I think I might have said Schultzberger, but Sulzberger. Um, Sulzberger was very eager. He loved to cooperate with the CIA. On one occasion, according to several CIA officials, Sulzberger was given a briefing paper by the agency, which ran almost verbatim under the columnist byline in the Times. Very interesting. You know, when when you get chosen by these governments, uh, like the U.S., I feel like you you 
kind of feel like you're part of the club. I, it's easy to hate on these people. I do it. I mean, it, but I think that a lot of people would feel like they had purpose. A lot of people would do this shit, man. A lot of people, if the CIA was like, hey, we want you to put out this message, I think a lot of people would do it, to be honest. A lot. Um, it doesn't make it right. It's obviously downright wrong to, to sell lies and propaganda as truth. But I think a lot of people feel chosen. They feel like they're part of the club now. This is probably why this Sulzberger dude, um, you know, ahead of the time, the the head of the times, like, um, this is probably why he he was so excited and why he actually wanted to cooperate. He didn't need to sign anything. Alan Dulles kind of knew that we got this guy, right? So it's very interesting. But continuing here, Alan Dulles often interceded with his good friend, uh, the late Henry Luce, founder of Time and Life magazines who readily allowed certain members of his staff to work for the agency and agreed to provide jobs and credentials for other CIA operatives who lacked journalistic experience. So you can be, you can go be a uh, hold a boom or something, right? Boom mic. Um, for many years, Luce's personal emiss- emissary uh, to the CIA was C.D. Jackson, okay? So, it, you know, again, more and more CIA ties... I think that's wild. If you can't report, if you're not maybe marketable, maybe you got a weird face or a weird voice, you can still get a job here. We can give you credentials. You can be part of time and life, and we can, you can get you to get out there and get some information, right? Now, uh, Malcolm Moore, uh, maybe Moore, Moore? I don't know. That's a weird word to say. M-U-I-R. Malcolm Murr, we'll call him. Malcolm Murr, Newsweek's editor from its founding in 1937 until its sale to Washington Post Company in 1961, said, quote, Whenever I heard something that I thought might be of interest to Alan Dulles, I'd call him. At one point, he appointed me one of his CIA men, um, appointed me one of his CIA men to keep in regular contact with our reporters, a chap that I knew, but whose name I can't remember. I had a number of friends in Alan Dulles's organization, the CIA, again. Wild, absolutely crazy stuff. Um, I want to continue reading on here, but I, we got to take a quick ad break. If you don't like the ads, patreon.com slash dangerous world podcast. $3 gets you around the ads. No pressure, but if you don't have $3, two minutes of ads. You can skip by them. Listening to them uh, helps you know my, my feed on that platform. So with that being said, quick ad break, and then I will continue reading the rest of this very interesting information, and then we'll get into some wild shit with Coast to Coast. I mean, we're just getting started here. It gets very fucking interesting. So see you on the other side of this quick ad break, guys. All right, so continuing with the ISGP dash studies um, comparisons and listings of the media and CIA. When Newsweek was purchased by the Washington Post Company, publisher Philip L. Graham was informed by agency officials that the CIA occasionally used the magazine for cover purposes, according to CIA sources. Um, It was widely known that Phil Graham was somebody you could get help from. (laughs) This is obviously, you know, somebody, well, it says CIA sources, but this is obviously somebody that has done so. Um, it's funny that they say just sources. They don't, they don't list a person, but still it's not crazy to think that this is a hundred percent true. It was widely known that Phil Graham was somebody that you could get help from. Said a former deputy director of the agency, Frank Wisner. Um, that's weird. I had a, a boss with a similar name to that, but Frank Wisner dealt with him. 
Wisner, deputy director of the CIA uh, from 1950 to 1965, was the agency's premier orchestrator of supposed black operations, including in many in which journalists were involved. That's wild, right? The agency's premier orchestrator of black operations include many of the of which journalists were involved. So journalists being involved in black ops with the CIA, okay? Wisner liked to boast of his, quote, mighty Wurlitzer. Not sure what the fuck that is. It sounds like it's a dick joke. I've got a mighty Wurlitzer, a wondrous propaganda instrument he built and played with from uh, help from the press. Now, Phil Graham was probably Wisner's closest friend, okay? Uh, Continuing on here. However, information about the agency's dealings in the Washington Post newspaper is extremely sketchy. According to CIA officials, some Post uh, stringers have been CIA employees. Catherine Graham, Philip Graham's widow and the current publisher of the Post. I don't know if she's currently today the publisher of the Post, but at the time of this writing, just a couple years back, um, Catherine Graham was, okay, the current publisher of the Post, says she has never been informed of any CIA relationships with either Post or Newsweek personnel. Bullshit. In November of 1973, Miss Graham called William Colby and asked if any Post stringers or self-members, or I'm sorry, staff members, were associated with the CIA. Colby assured her that no staff members were employed by the agency, but refused to discuss the question of stringers. Well, hey, that's good. You know, he can't lie, right? Guy can't lie. So, yeah, I believe it, right? Crazy. Now, continuing here, uh, we just got two more quick paragraphs, and then we'll get into the good stuff with Coast to Coast and uh, Alex Jones. But, um, so yeah, according to CIA officials, ABC continued to provide cover for some CIA operatives through the 1960s. At the time of the Senate bearings, I don't know if that was meant to be hearings, but it says bearings, uh, officials, agency officials serving at the highest levels refused to say whether the CIA was still maintaining active relationships with members of ABC and uh, its affiliates. These same sources professed to know few specifics about the agency's relationships with NBC, except that several foreign correspondents of the news work undertook some assignments for the agency in the 50s and 60s. Huh. So they say, eh, we don't know. We don't know if there's any relationships relationships between uh, media members and CIA assets. I mean, this, this would literally make media members, CIA assets. So again, it's tough to know where the line of the CIA is drawn and the line of the media begins. I would say it's actually in in 2023 here, I would say it's impossible. And if, you know, if you haven't watched the news in a long time, I encourage you to just check it out. Knowing this now, knowing this un- unequivocally now, right? Go and check it out. Even Tucker Carlson, somebody that you might agree with, Ask them who benefits, I'd rather ask yourself, who benefits from me knowing the information that this CIA asset is sharing, right? My theory on this, well, let me let me read the rest of this, and then I'll give you like kind of my thoughts on, on what's going on. The three lines here. Last part, James Angleton, who was recently removed as the agency's head of counterintelligence operations, the agency against CIA, Their counterintelligence operations ran a completely independent group of journalist operatives who performed sensitive and frequently dangerous assignments. Little is known about this group for the simple reason that Angleton deliberately kept only the vaguest of files. 
Good man. That's a good asset right there. If you're keeping that many files, not too much information they could find. Now, I was getting into the what my theory is of why there why 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 put this information out? Why not build a country that people like us don't even feel like we deserve to know what the government's doing, right? They actually built this government for us, right? They built this government so that we feel like we have some freedom and some power and some choice. It's all illusion, but, you know, we have a lot more freedom than a lot of other places. And and to be clear, I still love this country. It's hard to be proud right now. Um, it's hard to be proud of the government and, and the history of the country, but at the same time, I love the country, right? The military, uh, you know, grunt workers, right? These are good people. Now, the brass... I don't know if that's the same story. And obviously, it's tough to paint with a broad brush with even the grunts out there, right? Um, I think that the reason that they put this information out there is literally right now, it's to keep that pendulum going, right? The country's gone very far to the left. I think that we might very shortly, very soon, come into a fascist dictatorship. And that's not to scare people. I don't think it will look like such a fascist dictatorship. Right now, to the conspiracy people, it looks fascist, right? I'm talking about fascism right here. Independent corporations being assets to the government. We give China shit for that all the time. This is exactly what we're seeing here, though. I think it'll look even different than this. I think that we'll see... uh, I think that the right will come back more into power. And um, all these people that were getting away with their really perverted things with kids, you know, had these drag queen story hour, whatever the fuck they're called. All these things are going to, all these people that were, that were perpetuating this, something bad is going to happen. And I, I don't encourage that. Uh, if you are touching kids, I mean, you can't do enough bad things to these people. I never want violence to really go on unnecessarily though, but there becomes a point where that's all, that's all that you can do. Right. I'm not saying that's right now. I'm not sitting here saying, hey, let's go and, and, and do illegal things. I never have ever said that, and I never will. But it is our responsibility to keep this country maintaining a healthy uh, healthy dialogue between both sides. It seems at the highest levels, there's only one party. And I know that we talk about this all the time. Why are we, why are we getting this information? I think it's simply to keep that pendulum going. We're far left right now. I think that we're going to swing far back to the right. It looks like there's no hope for that at all uh, with the election meddling and all this stuff. But I think that that's the end goal here. Um, so, yeah, interesting stuff. I, I cannot stress how how tied in the media is with the CIA. And again, with those organizations, it's a no shit kind of thing, right? But moving into coast to coast and some of these other alternative media CIA assets, this stuff is mind blowing to me. And this is where we're getting into the good shit, okay? Just, what, 35 minutes in, 40 minutes in or so? Uh, Yeah, a little less than 40 minutes, okay? So, yeah, you hear some stuff that's kind of obvious to you. Maybe you don't know all that information. But I guarantee you don't know most of this because I didn't know any of this, okay? Let's start with Coast to Coast AM. Now, this, this whole show, Coast to Coast, was owned by Clear Channel Communications, which is now iHeartMedia. Okay, iHeartMedia is massive. It's in no way not connected to the CIA and to the deep state, and I'll prove it. It's a neocon company, and it's actually owned by two hardcore Bush supporters and affiliates. Okay, now you may be saying, hey, you know, Bush is a a Republican. Hold that thought, okay? Um, 
two hardcore Bush supporters and affiliates, Lowry Mays, who died in 2022. These guys both died very recently. And also Red McCombs. He died just last month here in 2023. Died in February. Um, Lowry was a major financier of the elite George H.W. Bush Presidential Library Foundation. And at that time, it was ran by Brent Snowcroft, who was a protege of the Henry Kissinger, okay, who is still outliving all these people somehow. I don't really understand how. Uh, this guy is like 400 years old. It's wild. Now, Snowcroft also oversaw the Intelligence Advisory Board under the Clinton administration and the W. Bush administration, also working with the Nixon and H.W. Bush administrations as well, okay? So you've got Snowcroft, who's not really necessarily tied in with the company, but he runs this George H.W. Bush Presidential Library at the time that Lowry was a major financier. Again, Lowry Mays is the guy I'm speaking of here, and then Red McCombs founded Clear Channel Communications, which is now iHeartMedia. Okay, iHeartMedia owned Coast to Coast AM. Just let that sit for a second. Very interesting. Lowry's also well-connected with the NSA, the CIA, and Texas A&M. Okay, that's a, that's a Bush school, basically. Um, as he, you know, it's interesting, the, the connections between Texas A&M, because these guys are Eastern establishment. But again, I'll get into that in a second here. Um. He was the regent chairman of uh, Texas A&M for quite some time uh, there at that university and made intelligence connections uh, through the Bush family. I think that's how he got so connected, and I think that they actually helped him get some money in some way. I can't prove that, but I feel like it's kind of like a revolving door between the Bush, the CIA, and then and then Lowry here. Now, this is where you might, uh, you know, your ears might start perking up here with McCombs, Okay. McCombs, along with uh, John Ashcroft and then Admiral Bobby Ray Inman, who was a former deputy director of the CIA and the head of the Office of Naval Intelligence, took over control of Blackwater. The guy, one of the guys that owns Coast to Coast, fucking took over control of Blackwater. Blackwater is tied to all kinds of horrible things, most notably... Um, allegedly, I gotta say, allegedly, making the bullshit connection between 9-11 and Saddam Hussein through a Robert Reicher, or Risher, maybe, R-I-C-H-E-R. Wild. Now, I say allegedly with that last part, but the other part is not alleged. Supposedly, this is legit stuff, supposedly, again, maybe I should say alleged on all this stuff. Don't trust me. You know, this is a comedy podcast, not really, but this is a comedy podcast. McCombs, taking control of Blackwater along with Lowry, who has CIA NSA connections, starts Clearwater, uh, yeah, Clear Channel Communications, which runs Coast to Coast AM. You got Clearwater, Clear Channel, and Blackwater. I keep calling it Clearwater. Clear Channel for the air and Blackwater, right? Airwaves and, you know, fucking tides, I guess, of this Blackwater. Wild information. I mean, to me... That is incredibly damning. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to trust anything that's in any way affiliated with Blackwater. But it seems that kind of like the highest authority in conspiracy is in fact connected to Blackwater. Mind-blowing stuff when I saw that. Um, now, if I'm understanding this next part right, this Buzzy Congrad joined the board of uh, Clear Channel. If I'm understanding it right, again, it could have, they could have been referring to Blackwater here. It wasn't 100% clear. But Congrad joined the board of uh, Clear Channel briefly 
despite these allegations of insider trading related to 9-11. Okay, that's some of the worst shit you could possibly do, uh, in my opinion, at least. If 9-11 is what, what it was meant to, you know, if it's advertised uh, to us accurately, which really tough to say. I mean, yeah, definitely it's not 100% accurate what they're telling us. I don't go as far as saying it was all holograms, but I wasn't there. So, you know, believe none of what you hear and half of what you see. That falls right in line there. This Congrad being accused of insider trading related to 9-11 where he bought a bunch of put options. Put options are basically you're buying at a certain price on a loan. And then when you try to sell, you're you're keeping the difference of the money. So if you buy something at $100 on a loan and then you got to pay it back at $50, you keep that $50 difference, right? So you're buying, you're buying uh, high and selling low. That's the goal of a put option. And I believe you have to do 100, 100 increments. Um, somebody like Congrad's not going to have a, a problem financially with that. But basically, if you're buying put options, you believe that the stock is going to go down or it's going to crash, ideally, in your situation. He put these put options on United Airlines on... September 6th, okay? And he actually told his followers in a newsletter to do the same thing. And guess when he says this? September 10th, okay? He bought put options a week before, right? Not even a week. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 10, 11. Yeah, five days before. I don't know why I couldn't figure that out. Buys put options six days before and one day before tells his followers to do the same thing. By then it was too late for them to do so, so no one did it. I think that was probably part of the plan, right? But man, that is suspicious as fuck. I would say anyone that is just on a whim putting several, several, you know, again, increments of 100, you would imagine several thousand with this guy's kind of money. Putting puts on, on the airline that was used to, to do this shit, it's, it's fishy. Um, very, very unfortunate stuff there. Now, it wasn't until Congrad's brother was accused of, you know, supposedly kind of shielding Blackwater from uh, Department of Justice investigations that he was let go from the board of the company there. So, you know, they, they hired him despite some shady allegations. And then once it was way too much, then they had to let him go. So um, you also have this Knight of Malta, Joseph E. Smith's, uh, sorry, Schmitz, as a... Um, a Bush Pentagon inspector general from 2002 to 2005. And he actually refused to investigate Blackwater, but then later joined the Prince group of which Blackwater was a subsidiary as general counsel and uh, chief operating officer. So you got a lot of people connected to Blackwater and clear channel. Strange, strange stuff there. Now, of course, uh, people know George Nuri. He was hired in 1998 as Art Bell's stand-in, and now he he heads the show, right? I think he's involved with that Gaia shit that just kind of got exposed for lying about all kinds of stuff, right? Um, wild story about like kind of who was behind Coast to Coast, in my opinion. That that's incredibly suspicious. Uh, they could have pulled that show at any time if he was really talking about some kind of damning stuff. I don't know. Uh, I, I also heard that he wouldn't talk about. Uh, 9-11 for some time, like any actual conspiracy theories. I know it was kind of tough for people to throw out conspiracy theories, but if you're this hard-hitting truther, you're going to be talking about 9-11, uh, you, know, f- you know, little holes that you can poke in that from the jump. 
Um, I was very young at that time, so I just bought it hook, line, and sinker. Um, I was like 10. So, you know, you don't really question that stuff at that age. If I'm sitting there, even at 20 years old, and I'm seeing a news, a, a news reporter talk about a building that's fallen before it's actually fallen, that's enough for me to just be like, yeah, this is bullshit, right? Why is somebody as esteemed in this industry as Bell? And I know he's dead. I'm not talking shit about him. I'm just saying, you know, he's not who who we thought he was. Um, why would this guy not be poking holes in that right away? To to in in the name of truth, right? Not to be a dickhead, just in the name of truth. Um, I don't know. Uh, Blackwater would have pulled his shell if that was the case. But let's talk about some of the guests here. There's some pretty damn wild guests on on Coast to Coast that are incredibly suspicious. This first one I have, Mark Lane, isn't too damning, but it's strange for sure. Uh, If you want to look it up, fairly common name. If you want to look him up, look up uh, Mark Lane, spelled with a K, Mark Lane CIA. And uh, you can check him out on Wikipedia even. There's a lot of information. Pretty accomplished dude for sure. But he was considered like the JFK expert on Coast to Coast. And, you know, he, along with the CIA's Richard Dwyer, was evacuated from the People's Temple whole suicide fest there in Jonestown uh, right before that whole thing happened. And it seemed like they were there researching the cult. And I think that they were doing this on behalf of the CIA to try to learn how this guy, who I believe was also CIA funded, how he was able to convince all of these people that what they were doing was going to get them closer to God, uh, some sort of spiritual connection, or simply kind of to tweak like their, for lack of a better ter- term, uh, MK Ultra methods, right? I mean, this Jim Jones was incredibly efficient with, uh, with his mind control methods. So did he learn from the CIA or did the CIA learn from him? Maybe a little bit of both. But it is interesting that this dude is there. It's not really put out there. You know, at the highest of levels, uh, but, you know, suspicious. So that's not damning, but suspicious. I would say if you're having somebody like that on, it's uh, it's strange at the very least, right? That's it. But I'm not going to sit here and say that that was like a, a horrible call. These next ones are bad for sure. You have Father Malachi Martin, who claimed to be the Vatican's leading exorcist expert guy, right? I mean, he he supposedly led all the exorcisms there. And uh, he's a supporter of Opus Dei, Knights of Malta, but he kind of pretended to not endorse the satanic ritual abuse in the church. They totally did. He acted like he was against it. If you're working with the Vatican and you're the head of the exorcist department or whatever they call that, you are allowing this stuff to happen. And you don't only endorse it, you you probably are part of it. Now, this is alleged. Um, the Vatican sucks, though. I, I, I have zero respect for the Vatican. Um he claimed outside influencers were causing the problems of the church. It wasn't the Pope or the Catholics at all. It was some outside forces, maybe some demonic sort of attack or whatever. Um, just kind of a cop out in my opinion. And he took all of the approved stances on like abortion, homosexuality, everything else that he had to say, he said. So he just seems like another disinformation candidate. And someone to help cause the most confusion possible. Someone to help cause division. Just like Obama said, right? He said when when people don't know um, what conspiracies to believe, which way's up, which way's down, then we've won. We being the government. Um, Now, after this fella left, after this Malachi Martin 
uh, left the Jesuits in 1965, he moved to New York City, and then Pope Paul VI provided him with the authority to represent the church in the media. So this guy is actually like a Vatican-endorsed uh, spokesperson. He's not going to go on coast-to-coast and talk about anything that's not allowed at all. Again, he's a Vatican representative, more or less, and he's allowed to go on shows exposing the truth like this. No fucking way. There is no way that he's able to do that. So, um, you know, the Jesuits have been kind of known to be a problem since their inception, but it's it's Martin who seemed to have, have popularized this idea of, you know, and I would say he popularized this in kind of like this alt-pop culture world that we're in, that we get our media from and we get our information from. Again, Jesuits... We know that they're bad, but I think that he kind of popularized this in the minds of a lot of conspiracy theorists out there. People looking for the truth uh, can blame everything on the Jesuits, and maybe it's warranted. I'm not sitting. I'm not going to be the one that sits here and say that the, the Jesuits are catching any false blame. But he shifted all that attention away from the church and specifically the Jesuits. It's the same thing. It really is the same thing. It's the Army of Jesus that they call themselves. Um, again, a group of people hiding behind good doing horrible things, so strange stuff, um, but yeah, this dude's not gonna, not gonna be, and, and I believe that Art Bell knew this, personally, so he's not gonna be able to say anything negative, or anything exposing of the Vatican, if he's endorsed by the fucking Pope to do the media work, right, now you have John Zaffis, who also claimed to be another demonic expert, who happened to be the nephew of another great scamming duo out there, Ed and Lorraine Warren, Now, they've given us some cool books and movies, so I'm not hating on them too much, but I guess that the Warrens would say that people that hired them uh, for some kind of help, right, were crazy, and and they didn't believe any of the shit that they were out there doing. They, uh, you know, were were just kind of capitalizing on a market, so as much as it's fucked up, you can't really knock them for doing it, but I don't think they even believed what they were doing. I think that Ed Warren was... I think related in some way to the Vatican, right? He was an exorcist, I think. And then Lorraine was uh, clairvoyant, supposedly. We've seen the clairvoyants that work on TV, right? Like, um, someone's got a letter in their name, and they're calling me, and then, you know, some idiot in the audience fucking calls out, and they're like, that's my uncle, or some shit. So, yeah. Um, Interesting to have Zaphis on there, uh, connected to Ed and Lorraine Warren. Again, not damning, but interesting. You can't really hold... uh, hosts of shows too responsible for what their guests have done. Uh, Sometimes it's cool to get the information from these corrupt people or these lying people. But when there's a pattern here, uh, it it becomes suspicious at the very least. When all these people are connected to higher levels and then they're coming in acting like they are bashing these high levels of society, that's weird, right? Now, uh, moving on here with the different guests, Colonel John Alexander became a pretty pretty big influence on the show, too, and he was an UNESCO asset, okay? The United States Intelligence and Security Command is what UNESCO is, I-N-S-C-O is the acronym there. Now, this is military-industrial complex, and what they do is collect intelligence information in all intelligence disciplines to provide unit commanders with intelligence for the battlefield, and the focus on uh, and the focus of combat power. So in this case, of having someone infiltrate a conspiracy show, that asset would gain intel and share it with commanders to I don't know make conspiracies more believable in the future. 
and maybe uh, make sure that they can get ahead and stay ahead of the narrative. Like, you know, put if you have the CIA putting out the disinformation or the uh, little bits of information, right? If you see information as an iceberg, maybe. I've been doing a lot of stuff with iceberg, uh, the conspiracy iceberg. They're just giving you the tip of the information. They're not giving you the deeper, darkest stuff. They put out stuff so that you're interested in it. This fantastical stuff about politicians eating kids and all this shit. Um, it is. It attracts people to learn about what is actually going on there. I'm not saying it's not real. I have no idea. It, it, it Nothing would surprise me at this point. It just seems that there are ways that we could spend our time that we could actually get down to the bottom of what's going on rather than following these fairy tales um, because it implicates politicians that we don't like. There's people doing this shit that we've never even heard their names. And we're so focused on high-level people uh, that we can't even help any of these kids, it seems, because of the the information and the misinformation, disinformation that's being put out by the people that are that are kind of being damned by the information. So interesting. It's just an intricate way that they do this. Now, you've got some neocon influence here. And then um, let's see, neocons that we got. We got uh, Frank Gaffney. That, that sounds like the guy from um, uh, Kevin Spacey's character in House of Cards, right? Uh, Frank Underwood, though. Gaffney just sounds like some fucking other hick shit, but whatever. Uh, Frank Gaffney, very elite and connected through various NGOs and founded the Influential Center for Security Policy, which is a U.S. far-right, anti-Muslim, Washington, D.C.-based think tank. And they've perpetuated a lot of ideas that seem plausible, uh, like the birth... Uh, birth question of Obama, that whole thing right there. Um, but it's all one-sided. It feeds to the right, feeds to the division. It's, uh, you know, kind of what's been fucking up this country for generations at this point. And he pumped the show with fear porn to benefit the military-industrial complex and to promote his own films and anti-Muslim propaganda. He just gets in there and just basically says what people that love America and hate anyone that fucks with it unequivocally, what they want to hear, right? Um, I mentioned the 9-11 ignoring. He kind of, um, you know, he, he. I guess when he when 9-11 happened, Art Bell posted an American flag to his website with the text, God bless America and um, God bless George W. Bush and God bless the USA. So George W. Bush is before the United States in this case. This is like uh, for king and country, right? God bless George W. Bush and God bless the USA. He didn't. He bought right into it, hook, line, and sinker, as a conspiracy guy. They didn't cons- uh, discuss any kind of serious conspiracy theories on the show for about three years, from what I found. If anyone can confirm that that's not true, let me know, um, because I, I think that people should have, as adults, they should have questioned the role, the government's role, right away. Uh, but they didn't, you know, and, and it's hard to do that. But today, I mean, something happens in um, in Texas, in a Texas school. It's a tragic situation, but we go straight to conspiracy because that seemed very strange. And it's not because, for the, for the sake of just, well, there's got to be some lying going on here. It looked and it smelled fucking weird from the jump. So we jumped on that. 9-11 looked and smelled weird from the jump, but these people didn't jump on this. The highest levels of this shit didn't jump on it. So, strange. Um... 
Now, this is my favorite stuff. I can't go an episode without bashing on the New Age. And this is a dude that seems to be pushing the New Age. Not only New Age stuff, uh, you know, the space colonization, remote viewing, some of these real fringe subjects, and some subjects that fit in with the cosmism stuff, too. Now, uh, there were several guests on the show that supported and pushed the ideas of the conspiracy uh, community here that, you know, we're very divided on these things. We're divided on, uh, you know, space. We're divided on NASA's work, remote viewing, uh, UFO sightings. I mean, we're, we're increasingly starting to doubt what these UFOs are, uh, whether they're aliens or whatever. All this shit that kind of ties in with Blue Beam, right? We're kind of we're kind of skeptical of, and I believe that that's healthy. Not to say that it's a hundred percent bullshit, but you know where I stand on that. If you've been a listener for a little while, what's interesting is that the Rockefellers seem to be covertly promoting the research and really drive the conversation of these topics. Now, does that mean that it's misinformation, or does that mean that they want to get ahead? All right, well, I continue going through the coast-to-coast things that got me a little suspicious and then also finish off with InfoWars. Two really great shows, just, you know, don't believe everything that you hear on these things, my show included. If you want to hear the rest of this one and many, many others for only $3, go to patreon.com slash dangerousworldpodcast to get all this content. There's other tiers, too, if you so choose, but thank you for the support. Share the show with friends, and I'll see you next episode, guys.